Hey everyone, just a quick short pre-show note. You'll notice that we've got a couple of technical glitches in the show. I apologize about that and that we're still experimenting with the show music intro, exit, and bumpers, but we'll hopefully have that all cleared up by next year. Enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Michael D.G. Eisenberg. I'm the Tech Savvy Lawyer, blogging at the techsavvylawyer.page and host of the techsavvylawyer.page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers new and seasoned, taking advantage of technology in their legal work, and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. The podcast will try to stay focused, asking each guest three questions and asking the guests to provide their top three best answers for each question asked. There is no right or wrong answer, as each tip may or may not be the right one for you. There is no right or wrong answer as each tip may or may not be the right one for you, but it may springboard an idea for you and along the way you may learn something new. My next guest is Deborah Savada. Deborah is currently a legal assistant at a large U.S. law firm, a former IT consultant, and the owner of the Legal Office Guru website. She teaches lawyers and other professionals how to produce their legal work products better, faster, and easier with Microsoft Word. Too often, I've had to train new law clerks and show other attorneys functions in MS Word that make writing and formatting briefs easier and less time-consuming. Remember, lawyers no longer have secretaries to do this kind of work for them. We need to know how to do this ourselves. Come join Deborah and I as we discuss these topics and more. But first, a special shout-out to our returning sponsor, Couch & Cork. Couch & Cork. Stay in. Drink wine. Deborah, welcome to the podcast. Ah, thanks, thanks. It's good to be here. Uh, and I'm thrilled that you're here. And I got to ask the first question is, please tell the listener, what is your current tech setup? Well, I'm a PC builder. Uh, if I had enough uh, time and money, I'd be building computers uh, a lot of the time. I, I do that because I believe you can get more bang for the buck mm-hmm. with uh, building your own rather than buying the uh, buying the ones off the shelf. Uh, you don't get all the crapware. You don't get all the... Uh, all the, the various things and you don't get some of the cheap, really cheap components that, that even some of the good computer or hardware uh, vendors actually put into their, their hardware. So what I have, and this is a, this is a setup that I use for editing instructional videos mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. So it's sort of geared to that and it's not top of the line by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, it's powerful enough to do video editing on, which, which requires a, a fair amount of horsepower. So what I've got is a, a, a PC that's based on an AMD Ryzen 5 3600 chip uh, and a X570 chipset based motherboard. So I can do some future upgrades uh, whenever cool. AMD comes out with newer chips, which, which they already have. But the newest ones are extremely difficult to get your hands on right now. Uh, and then a, a Gigabyte Radeon RX 5600 XT graphics card, which is maybe a little overpowered for what the setup I've got. And then... What I use for video editing and, and video recording because I do so much screen capture is Camtasia 2020. Uh, and in conjunction with doing Audacity, uh, which is free for mm-hmm. a lot of the audio, sometimes I will record the audio separately. And I find that the noise reduction and whatnot on Audacity actually tends to be a lot better than the noise reduction in uh, Camtasia 2020. Uh, I've also got uh, a somewhat dated Samsung tablet and an Amazon Fire tablet. Uh, I'm an Android phone person. Uh, in fact, I'm just now today upgrading to a Moto G stylus phone. Oh, so, congratulations! Yeah, yeah. I was. I have been using a, a, a low-end Samsung phone for for several months, and I'm one of these people that has every app 
on the planet. It's just, and you know, and, and it will constantly ask you, tell me that, oh, you, you haven't used this app in like six months. Well, no, I want to keep that, you know? So I have, you know, 80 something apps on the phone right now, a lot of which, you know, go dormant for a while, but gosh, I just want to keep them, you know, just in case I ever want to do an Uber ride or something, you know? Fair enough, fair so, enough. So I, that, and I've got, uh, I've got a brother, uh, uh, laser printer actually it's uh, and then uh, an Epson scanner so that is what I have and then I have a laptop an Asus laptop that I use to to take to the office to communicate with people that, that come to my site kind of do that on on my lunch hour which I'm getting ready to put an SSD in to make it a little bit faster so that's the basic so technology you, that I've got well you will know that you will notice your laptop just go lightning fast with that SSD in there. I up yeah. I upgraded my own laptop years ago from uh, the standing the standing spinning uh, spinning drive to an SSD, and oh wow! It was, I mean, it was an old laptop too, and it was still you could tell the difference. Now I got to ask your Epson scanner: is that an ADF or is that a one page? No, it's a, uh, this is this one's fairly old. Uh, in fact, I bought this several years ago. But it is a uh, 4490 photo scanner. Oh, okay. So it's a photo flatbed scanner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't have a I don't have an ADF on it uh, at all. But uh, you know, for the length of documents that I tend to deal with, that's really not right. not a huge issue. Right. No. When uh, when the VA used to send me documents, I mean, like uh, reams of documents, and you know, the smartest thing to do was just to scan them mm -hmm. so that. You know, I could search them faster, but now they send it on disk. But you know, I still have a a, a Fujitsu ScanSnap uh, scanner as I'm looking and pointing behind me. Uh, that is like considered, you know, the a mainstay for most attorneys who mm -hmm. especially practice with a lot of paperwork still. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I have to ask. Uh, I'm a Mac user for the office. I'm a, a Mac and Windows when it comes to the blog, but I'm a Mac user for the office. Mm -hmm. um, so. What is the draw for you on a Windows machine versus, say, a Mac machine? Now, some of this, some of what I'm going to say is is invalidated somewhat by the fact that that Apple is now making its own chips, uh, right. and and I think that that they are going to reap some real benefits. Mac users are going to reap some real benefits from that uh, from the, that new chipset. But up to this point, I think that the bang for the buck in terms of uh, system speed and and, and the ability to do your own repairs and do your own upgrades ha has really been more on the PC side. Uh, I have, a, I have a, a little bit of a, I don't want to say chip on my shoulder, but I think when you, when you look at the specs of a Mac, uh, and, you know, and we're talking several thousand dollars worth of, worth of hardware here. Right, right. You, you look at the specs on a Mac and then you look at what you can build for that amount of money on a PC. Mm -hmm. Like... I think I just saw, I think last year's $9,000 uh, Mac Pro was based on an Intel i5 chip, okay. which, uh, you know, is just when you're doing something like what I'm doing, uh, doing video editing, you, you need All some right. speed. And so I've always had a, a, something of a bias against Mac for that reason. In some of the, especially some of the smaller units, the, the laptops and, and the, uh, the smaller desktop units, there's been some some issues with uh, the thermals, with how right. uh, overheated that they will get and how the the chip get, tends to get throttled. Whereas, I can put 
a big case with a bunch of fans in it and I right. don't have to worry about the chip ever getting throttled. The other issue that I have is I'm, I'm big on what's being called the right to repair movement, which is uh, a movement that uh, a lot of people, there's Lewis Rossman on YouTube, for example, who is engaged in this long-term battle with Apple about having the right for a, an Apple user. If they go to the Apple store and they, and they say, look, you're just going to have to buy a new one. You've, you've right. validated your warranty. We're not going to be able to repair this. The right for that Apple user to be able to go to a third party and say, can you fix this? And that third party being able to get the right parts uh, and be able to, to repair it. Uh, like I said, Lewis Rossman on, on YouTube posts a lot of rants and he's been in front of a lot of uh, legislatures and whatnot, get, trying to get laws passed that say, you can't do this anti-competitive thing where you will not sell the parts or you will not authorize the repairs by a mm-hmm. third party. And, and that for me is a real sticking point. I don't want to be locked into having to take it to an Apple store, particularly since we don't have one where I am. I would literally right. have to go all the way over to New Orleans, which is a two hour drive from where I am. Uh, and, and having to, to send that in. Whereas I can, I can take, I can take this machine anywhere. I can do my own repairs on it uh, for something that, that I know how to do. I can continually upgrade this. I mean, to me, it's just, it's just kind of, of a no brainer. I, I love the fact that people love their Macs and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm all for people having that choice if, if they want that. But this really for me is uh, particularly for my budget is a better choice. Well, well, let me ask you this, sort of to, to back end this, you, I think, are in a unique position that you know how to build and repair your own mm-hmm. computer. I don't think a lot of lawyers, a lot of the listeners to the podcast know how to do that. So my first question is, would you encourage an attorney to buy a name brand computer sort of prepackaged a Windows machine, or would you encourage them to go to some sort of like, you know, a computer store, you know, sort of an independent computer store and have one built for them? There are, uh, there are several of online vendors that actually will build a computer to spec. Right, right. And, and, uh, and, and, and I'm not even talking about uh, the Dells of the world. Uh, right, right, right. But- no, no, no. I'm talking about like third parties who, Mm-hmm. We'll build something more personal than just the generic, you know, this is in the factory line and you can pick one of these and we may add some stuff to it or take away some stuff for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely would say either either one of those online vendors who will build a computer and, and I can send you some links to some, some places please, that, actually, please. that actually do that or find a local IT consultant and see if they know of someone who will build something locally. And you can have some control over having some of the better components and, and not cheaping out on certain things. Right, right. Because like I said, it's you, you buy some of these, these systems off the shelf in some of the electronic stores. And sometimes you will find that while they, they did pretty well with choosing the chip and, and maybe choosing the motherboard, they might've cheaped out a little bit on the, on the graphics card or something like that. Right, and, right. and you're not going to get something that's going to, going to last very long. So then I think my other question is windows has a reputation for not being stable. I say that not to be mean or insulting. It's just that, you know, the windows platform versus 
the Mac, you know, the Mac seems to be a solid, you know, tried and true performer. Yet the Windows, there's always seems to be some sort of DOS problem that pops up and everything tends to get a little hinky. Um, the last Windows machine I had when I first started the practice, because uh, I just got out of law school, Windows was the thing back then. Um, it, the computer just died after a couple of years. And mind you, it wasn't like doing any hard gaming or hard processing. I was doing mostly uh, web browsing, um, email word and then after like three or four years the thing just like died mm -hmm. um so and but with macs you tend to get more longevity longevity out of it and they tend to, you know the mac users including myself you know that's one of the things that we take pride of is that you know you can have, you can find a 10 year old machine that still is working mm -hmm. um good luck on a, on a windows machine how do you alleviate others fears of something like that Actually, my last Windows machine that I built um, mm -hmm. in 2011 lasted for a, a good nine years. But, so, but you were also updating and changing parts. Uh, periodically, but not, mm -hmm. not that often, actually. In okay. fact, that, okay. that one that I just kind of uh, took out of service, I'm getting ready to upgrade it. That's, that's still running an Intel i5 chip that I got maybe in 2014. Okay, cool. Uh, as far as the Windows stability, I think, I think Apple has an advantage in terms of the fact that they're able to so tightly control the hardware that's actually right actually running the OS. So they don't have the wide variations in hardware that Windows has to deal with periodically or, or, or just across the board where they've got to support this wide swath of hardware and they they roll out a Windows update and you know these people are fine, but these other right. people over here are you know, something has locked up and whatnot. I think they've gotten a little bit better over recent years in terms of rolling out updates and and doing it incrementally and saying, okay, right. if you have this particular uh, machine, uh, this or particular parts. machine or this particular chipset or whatnot, you're going to have to wait on the update because we're we're still testing that. And there are there are a, a lot of people online who were sort of following these updates and saying, you know go ahead and do this one or hold off on this one because this is not really fully tested. So we've at least got that community and they're better about not shoving an update down your throat. They used to do that. I mean, they, they used to do, you know, you just, you're, you're just going to update period. And now they at least give you the option within windows updates to defer updates and, and not put those in until until you come to a point where something is critical for, for security reasons. Yeah, I, I, I just remember from uh, Windows 95 back in 1995, um, which is 25 years ago, when, you know, Windows 95 came out and then they came out with beta, you know, or, you know, 95, or like version two, because the first version had so many, um, which I knew everyone was excited about because it was a more friendly environment. And then you know, then it just didn't quite work well. I, I know I was not happy about it, but I'm sure as many people were, but it seems to have that, that history still behind it a little bit. And, you know, going back to your colleague who is the YouTuber who has the lawsuits against Apple, you know, for keeping everything so enclosed, so sandboxed, uh, you know, on the other hand, they don't have the problems that the Windows users have. So it's, it's sort of like a, you know, it's, Catch twenty two yeah. has to be one way or the other. Um, it's trading for a different set of problems, and the same thing is true with iPhone yeah, versus yeah. Android. You know, you've got so many yeah. different ones. And I had uh, a phone a couple of years ago, and it, and uh, granted, I had bought a 
cheaper phone than, than probably a, a lot of people. I wasn't doing a flagship, you know, phone or something like that. Right. And they pushed an update and, and literally there's a meme sitting out on the internet where this manufacturer had bricked everybody's phones. <laughs> they, I mean, had completely bricked everybody's phones. And fortunately I had a lot of that data backed up, but, and, and then they stopped answering phone calls about it. So, oh wow. <laughs> whereas you don't have that problem with an iPhone, because like I said, they tightly control that hardware. And so they, they have a certain predictability about how a, an OS update is going to behave. Oh yeah. But, but I, you know, even with uh, Apple products, I know like with some recent, with the recent OS or iOS, there was some bricking issues, not on everybody, but on a handful. And you know, the Apple care is just so fantastic. They answer their phones and they say, okay, if it's broken, if it's really broken, and you didn't like break it yourself by throwing it on the ground, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you're under Apple care, we'll just replace it, which, which is not something I hear so much from the windows machines, but, you know, I think we're, it's a great conversation, but I think we're going off just a little yeah, bit too yeah. much on a tangent. And mind you, I'm enjoying this and, uh, you know, you and I could probably talk about this for hours, but, uh, we probably should get back to the podcast questions. And, um, so I may ask, what are three ways you have observed attorneys underutilizing tech in their practice? Uh, well, number one, and, and I don't know what your experience has been and what a lot of your readers' experience has been, and, and this may be particular to certain types of practice or mm-hmm. maybe even a regional problem or a generational problem. I still see a lot of paper. I mean, I still see a shocking amount of paper. And, and that, uh, that to me, I mean, I'm literally seeing people take something, print it out and then scan it in so they can email it. And I'm like, uh, no, you can actually take that file and transfer it and pull it over into an email. I, I mean, there's the, the paper addiction that I see in the particular firm that I work in mm-hmm. is, is still pretty significant. So the, the paperless office or the, or the, or the paperless office right. uh, is, it has not taken hold nearly as much as I would think it would have, what, 40 years after the invention of the scanner? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't think uh, like utilizing scanned documents so much on a, on a day-to-day basis has really come into play in the last maybe 10 to 15 years when email was becoming more... Uh, prevalent uh in doing business now i mean you know everything is an email there's an attachment and whatnot um you know i have old case files still that are of ongoing cases that you know i still have two four drawer lateral files that you know have paper in it because it's just they're just old files and what i need to do is is start scanning some of the older stuff or some of the, even though some of the older stuff that's scanned, I need to return to the client. It's just sort of like, you know, attorneys are like, well, we're just always wanted that kind of hang on to everything and always afraid yeah. to like, you know, accidentally yeah. shred or, or garbage the, that one important document that the client's like, you know, that's my case. Now, I do think that, that COVID has, has affected that, that sort of paper lust quite a bit. Yeah, I, I agree. I've seen people that have, uh, that have been sort of addicted to paper being forced to let go of that to some mm-hmm. degree. And, and yeah. I think that's, if there's a silver lining to that particular cloud, that, that may be one of them at least. But, uh, and, 
honestly, I mean, I, I get that there's a certain tactile uh, satisfaction to dealing with paper. I mean, it's in certain situations, it's just a lot easier to deal with. Right. You know, if you're reviewing certain things and, and you wanted to make notes and whatnot, doing it electronically can sometimes be a real pain in the neck. But then on the other hand, it's easy to generate forms, mm-hmm. whether it's government forms, contracts, or other information online through an email, and there's just no paperwork to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, or even if you create a Microsoft Word document, PDF it, sign it in Adobe Acrobat, and then send it off in an email, you don't have to create any paperwork. Uh, but you know, one of the things that I do, and I'm sure I've talked about this before, is so you have an Epson. I have an HP uh, laser printer. And the thing about the laser printers I've been using the last 15 years is that they're automatic double side. So it will, it will flip. So I can print on both sides without having to like, you know, print off odds and then print off evens. And it saves paperwork and it saves space. And the only time I actually print off typically is either I'm mailing something to a client which doesn't happen often if it's something I'm generating or uh, a non-engagement letter to um, a potential client or, or an envelope for returning documents. But I, you know, I, I buy a ream of paper from Staples and that usually lasts me about a year or not a ream, a a box of ream Mm -hmm. of paper. And actually lasts me longer than that. Um, But so I got one, two more paper. You know, one of the things that I, that I've have noticed that, uh, that a lot of attorneys kind of fail to do is is not really researching what's possible in terms of making something more efficient, not asking questions of people that that might know how to how to do something a little more efficiently, kind of having those conversations, and then being willing to spend maybe a, just a little bit of money to solve a frequent problem. In other words, having a hard cost for versus having the soft cost of having somebody do something right. manually. Right. One of my examples is is. Uh, email conversion when you're having to I work in litigation uh, right, most right. of the time and producing emails is becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger thing you know producing just reams of emails and I still see people doing that in sort of the long way in terms of either printing them out and then scanning them which yes it's just a it's just a horrible horrible practice now now wait just for just for the listener just for the listener um Deborah and I are also, uh, we're on video. We can see each other. And she just saw this look of, of <laughs> bewilderment. Um, so uh, I, I know exactly. And trust me, I've had to produce emails in the past. And I just, you know, I, I select the ones I want to send either through my mail program or through Daylight, which is my client relations management program. And I send it off to, as, to be printed as a PDF, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm not, I'm not killing a tree by printing up the emails, but I'm sorry, I think I interrupted. No, that's fine. It's, but what, what a lot of them don't realize is you can actually take the raw email files and run them through an email conversion tool. Right. Those things are really not that expensive. Yeah. And, and actually just, you can control what's actually going out. You can control the format. You can control a lot of the metadata that's actually Mm -hmm. being produced as well. Well, but if you're PDFing would... a document, mm-hmm. you usually get rid of the, the uh, metadata through um, uh, by the process of creating the PDF. Mm-hmm. But you can also do it within, within a certain email conversion programs. You can really control what sort of metadata is actually still attached to that email. And mm-hmm. 
and and having and having that conversion and whether or not uh, how it deals with attachments, which is a huge thing, because if you're producing a bunch of emails and they have attachments, you obviously want the attachments to follow the email. Right, right. You want those to be and and how do you deal with, you know, if there's a word document or a PDF, that's one thing. If you've got some bizarre format of some kind that's attached to an email, then can you deal with that? So the, I, I think the, I don't want to say unwillingness, but just not having those conversations with the IT people or mm-hmm. with, with some of the staff and saying, is there, this is what we're doing. Is there maybe a better way of doing this? Is there maybe a more efficient way of doing this? Uh, another example is uh, doing group edits of a document. I see a lot of people doing the, the, the track changes thing, which is great. Right, right. But if you're getting a bunch of people involved and they're all sending you different versions back, right. then you know, you've got a mess on your hands. So the question really ought to be posed to whoever's doing your IT uh, setup is, is there something we can do in SharePoint that will make this easier? Mm-hmm. Is there something we can do with another tool that will make this easier where, where everybody can... can uh, Google Docs. Right, something instance, like that. Right. And, and not having not having those conversations and not not asking those questions, I think is a huge mistake. Are you familiar with uh, Dan Calhoun uh, from Discovery Genie? Uh, no, I don't think I am. He he created this um, this program for basically smaller and mid-sized law firms that helps with discovery production, including you know generating all those emails but also indexing them you know he, mm-hmm. he you talk about you know do you see a problem and can you fix it he saw a problem mm-hmm. and not only fixed it for himself but also fixed it for others so much so that he created his own business at discovery mm-hmm. gene he's a he's a uh, prior guest he he uh, appeared in a appeared on a tw- uh, april 21st episode um you might want to take a look at that yeah um go ahead I'll tell you, I'll tell you another product is mm-hmm. I did some, some marketing copy for a, co- a company called email in detail litigation, mm-hmm. where this, uh, this company that does email conversion for large companies actually mm-hmm. saw that there was a, a huge uh, doc- document conversion problem within the litigation field and mm-hmm. made one, especially for lawyers. And they did quite a bit of, of marketing research and talking to the customers that, that were lawyers that were buying the flagship product and made a product specifically for litigation for uh, producing emails. So that's another solution to, uh, to consider. Well, so going back to your second answer, basically like what's possible and what could be made easier? I'm gonna see if I can pull three answers out of you because you talked about email conversion. What other things do you think attorneys could do to make their lives a lot easier and perhaps uh, a lot less time-consuming and uh, expensive. I was going to get into some of this when we talked about uh, the top three ways uh, attorneys are underutilizing uh, Microsoft Word. And we could save that yes. part till then. Okay. I mean, that's fine. Okay. Um, so, uh, so we're going to talk about b- better utilizing Microsoft Word a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else? Well, I always like to make things in threes. There was a great article that was published in 1993 on one of the ABA publications, and they've since taken it down, but I fortunately saved a copy of it in, in my Evernote that's called Why Lawyers Can't Manage. So yeah. if, if, any, if any lawyer is looking for a uh, ego boost, uh, this is not the place to find it because it's about as brutal as its title. 
And one of the things that, one of the personality traits that he sort of pinpoints is that lawyers, because of their particular experience in dealing with problems with clients where you go in, you, you solve the problem, and then you hand it off to the client, and that's really the last time that you, that you deal with right. it. Whereas, you know, say the example of you create an, an employee manual for a client, and you go mm-hmm. through this whole process with the client and then you hand off the finished product. And so to the lawyer's mind, it's a solution and a one-time fix. Whereas mm-hmm. from the client's mind, it's, okay, we have this thing. Now we have to implement this and it's an ongoing process. Right. And I think that lawyers kind of tend to think of technology solutions as one time, this is it. We're not going to ever tweak this thing rather than thinking of it as a process. They always seem to want to go from zero to 60, just right from the get-go. You know, they want to go from, mm-hmm. you know, ha- seeing the problem to having the ultimate solution to it. I'll give right. you, I get contacted every once in a while from people who are, are interested or have taken my Assemble Documents Faster course where we're talking about mm-hmm. uh, some uh, document assembly features that are already in Word. And they say, what we want you to do is to create uh, a document database for us where we can use across... Uh, all of our offices and, and all of this, and we want to automate this and, and this and this and this. And when I suggest that they sort of start incrementally and say, you know, build a form, right. put it out on your network, build some of these things like quick parts and, and, and some of these other things, some of these building blocks into it and kind of see how that goes. Because that thought process of having to build a form is really something that that takes some, takes some thought. And so you get into the first version of it and you go, okay, this works okay, but maybe this part doesn't work. And so you have to iterate a bit mm-hmm. and they go, oh, no, 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 we want to, we want to, you know, the, the whole shebang right from the start right. and we want to do all that. And not viewing technology as an iterative thing, right, right. saying that, you know, let's, you know, let's do these things first and kind of see where we are and then and then increment from there is to me a mistake. It's a mistake in mindset. And really incremental change is going to be a whole lot less stressful. It's going to allow you to do some course correction and it's going to allow you to not be overwhelmed with change uh, at the at the get-go. Well, you know, it's funny you say that and I completely agree with what you're saying. And mind you, I, I have a master's degree in engineering, so I can understand the processing that you're talking about. And so I'm not like, quote unquote, scared of it as say maybe others would be. But one, back when I was in the midst of changing client relations management pro, uh, programs, uh, there was one I was really interested in because of all the workflows that could be done from this program. And they would help you build the workflows. And I'm like, all right, well, so we kind of need to do this. And we kind of need to do that. And we kind of need to do this. And as, as we see things work, we can make sure that we're building on it. And like, oh, no, no, no. We have to have everything at once. I'm like, that doesn't make sense because we don't know what's going to be wrong along the way. Oh, no, no, you can't do it that way. I'm like, you know, I wish I had known. And mind you, they're not my, my CRM. And, you know, I've been using Daylight, which has just been fantastic, although it's just Mac-based which doesn't help when you, it gets a little bit uh, confusing when your law clerks have their own, you know, BYOB uh, laptops. Mm. Or, well, not bring I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not BYOB. It's, it's uh, bring your own laptops, not, BYOB, mm-hmm. not, not bring your booze. Sorry. Um, anyway, 
I, but yeah, so I just, I mean, I understand exactly what you're saying, but it, like that was a problem. I don't know if the CRMs are still dealing with that because I haven't really looked at them, but you kind of need to have something that you can build on as you're suggesting. Um, but I, I think attorneys are slowly moving in the direction that you're talking about. And the reason why I say they're slowly doing it is because attorneys in the last few years have had to come to the realization that they can no longer just simply buy a software package and then never have to spend money on it again right. because of the subscriptions. Mm -hmm. Lexus was a necessary evil, same thing with Westlaw, but now you have to get Microsoft Word on a subscription basis, mm -hmm. uh, you know, other programs, your CRMs have to be, you know, on, um, on cloud and they're on a, a constantly a monthly basis. Uh, and I, I have a feeling that attorneys are slowly going that way, but I don't think necessarily they may be going as fast as to catch up to what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, although I, I do see light at the end of the tunnel. Now a word from our sponsor, Couch and Cork. Couch and Cork, stay in, drink wine. Couch and Cork offers a unique way to host your own wine tasting event. Not only can you host at your office or home, but you can now host virtual events. What better way to gather with friends, have office parties and team building events, and client outreach than by sharing a glass of wine at your own virtual wine tasting event. Schedule your next wine tasting event with Couch and Cork through their contact information provided in the show notes. Couch and cork, stay in, drink wine. What are the three biggest fears that attorneys who still use WordPerfect have from moving to Microsoft Word? Well, number one, I, they fear that the learning curve is going to be really steep and it's going to cost them a lot of time. And mm -hmm. they're not entirely wrong about that. It, it is a, a very much a mindset shift. WordPerfect and Word are constructed under the hood in very, very different ways. Mm -hmm. And they do things in very different ways. And if you're, even if you're not a technical person, you don't understand exactly how that, that could affect your day-to-day -day work. You get used to doing something a particular way and then you have to change. It, 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 is, it is very confusing. It is, it is very upsetting. And they're not, wrong to, they're not wrong to be concerned about that. I, don't mm -hmm. think fearing it is necessarily an appropriate reaction, but they do need to be prepared for the fact that if they get into Word and say, well, WordPerfect does it this way, there's probably a technical reason for WordPerfect doing it that way. Right. For example, the reveal codes thing. It, right. it was genius. I mean, it, it really was. It, it did make doing certain types of edits really, really easy, but that's because WordPerfect deals with document or document text as a stream, whereas Word right. does it in in sort of in sort of buckets, almost like a like a Russian doll. And right, right. you know, the complaint is, well, you know, Word doesn't doesn't do reveal codes. Well, well, that's why. But they have other tools that do a lot of the same things, and you use those in conjunction with one another, you can get the same result. But now, I'm assuming you're referring to like show symbols. Yes which I've been using, I think as long as I've been using Microsoft Word because it lets you see where, oops, I have two spaces where I need one or mm -hmm. this isn't actually a carriage return or something's not quite right with the formatting. Mm -hmm. And you know, I have it on all the time. And I remember I had a couple of clerks come back to me and say, hey, Mike, I, I've got all these little dots on my screen, <laughs> these little light dots. I'm like, no, those are just to let you know that you have a space there or a carriage return or or something, but I, I, I 
but I understand what you're saying. You know, although the, the funny thing I find about people who use um, WordPerfect versus Microsoft Word is that, my, I'm sorry, WordPerfect reminds me of just like Windows old DOS yes. programming. And I'm like, you know, lawyers be fearful of DOS and programming and whatnot. And yet they love uh, WordPerfect, which I never quite understood, but. Well, I think one of the myths that sort of surrounds WordPerfect, and, and it's not necessarily untrue, is that WordPerfect is built for lawyers. And my answer to that is, well, if it's mostly lawyers are using it right now, then then to a certain extent, that's got to be true because that's their major major audience now that they've sort of fallen out of favor with the rest of the uh, uh, the rest of the word processing universe. So right. it's they cater to that audience because they basically have to. But you're right. The interface to me is still very wonky. It's mm -hmm. it's not it's it's not to me. It's it's not intuitive. Right. And, no. and I, I hate that word. I hate I hate that yeah. word because uh, people say, oh, oh word perfect's intuitive. No, you don't mean intuitive. What you mean is I already know how to do it. Right. So it feels natural. And so when they switch to, to words like, oh, this is not intuitive. No, you just don't know what you're doing yet. Right. <laughs> you know, there's a difference between those two oh, concepts. Yeah. No, no, no. And I'm with you on that. And, you know, one of the things about Word over Word Perfect is that you get the WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. Not so much with Word Perfect. So I, that that bores me that people who are on Word Perfect don't understand what much more you're getting in Microsoft Word. But I, I think I'm I'm interfering with your answers. And I know you gave us one, but I got to get two more out of you. I, they wonder what's going to happen to the various forms and macros, et cetera, mm. that they already have. You know, so many people build all these macros and they've got all these forms and and they're like, okay, how do I how do I convert them? And there's no real easy answer for that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. It is going to be a rebuilding process. It is going to be uh, some of a conversion process. I've been asked the question a lot of times, how do I convert my macros? I'm like, there's no there's no real upgrade path there. There's no there's no real clean conversion path there. And I have to say, I'm not I'm not a macros expert. I don't do VBA. Mm -hmm. I, I don't do any of that. So that's that's a fear that has some foundation that there's going to be that curve that they have to scale if they've got if they've got a lot of forms and macros and whatnot that they've that they have been used to dealing with. And so there may be a transition period where you're sort of running in parallel, so to speak, uh, between the two word processors and getting things. Well, couldn't you couldn't you hire someone like on Fiverr or one of those other sites that offers you know basically contract work to do that for you to convert whatever macro you had on Microsoft I'm sorry WordPerfect into Microsoft? That's probably possible. I don't know how expensive that gets depending on how many of those kinds of things that you have. Right. And again, it's it's a problem of defining what what it is you're actually trying to accomplish. And do True. you do you need a macro to do that? I've been asked several times, you know, well, what sort of macro would I need to build to do this? And I'm like, that's in Word, that's not really a macro thing. I mean, macros are great for a lot of things, but there are other features that can do that same thing. So I would say it's better to focus on solving the problem right, and right. the process rather than getting stuck on 
a particular technology or getting fixated on the word macros, for example. So, so going on a small tangent on this answer, um, are you finding that there are other third-party software products that you can use, say, in lieu of a, of a macro, whether it's in WordPerfect or Microsoft Word, for instance, Text Expander? I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I know it's both on Windows, it's both on Windows and Mac, mm-hmm. um, which you, you know is great with snippets, whether it's a simple word or a form or you know, a fill in the blank to populate out, which basically is what uh, the macros, at least in WordPerfect used to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, are you fine? I'm sorry. The, yeah, the, those kind of external tools are great. I, I had a discussion with, uh, with Brett Burney a, a while back mm-hmm, yeah. about, uh, about the virtues of text expander versus doing something in auto text in Word. Of course, auto text in Word is just in Word. So right. getting right. the text expansion in other in other areas, but there is, there is that. And there's also some, some fairly, some fairly inexpensive tools. Like just today I had somebody contact me and say, Hey, I've got, I've got a form where I basically need to fill in four pieces of information to create four different documents. Is that possible in word? Well, yeah, that's, that's possible. And I could certainly build something that would do that, but something like the form tool, which is, Free to download. I think that currently, uh, as of this recording, the 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 one time uh, price, and it's not even a subscription. It's like eighty nine dollars. I mean that that to me would be money well spent if you're just looking to create some forms, fill in a little bit of 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 information, and do that rather than learning how to do bookmarks and cross references. You could All do right. either one, but you have to balance whether or not you really want to spend the time learning that right. versus doing something. To me, the form tool is very simple. Well, one of the things I use, uh, I think along the lines of the form tool is Pandadoc. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a yearly subscription. I know there's a couple others out there and mm-hmm. um, that will basically you set up a template and you have, uh, you know, key, pl- uh, key plugins, you know, name, address, uh, you know, if you need a client's social security number or other date of birth, it will just populate out into the forms that you generate and then just automatically pop it out. So you don't have to like go and type in every on every page and every wow. you know, every particular spot. It, sa- it saves a lot of time. So I think along the lines of what you're talking about would be the form tool, Panadoc, et cetera, that it that does save a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so let me ask you this question while we're on the form tool. And we were talking about subscriptions earlier. Are you concerned with programs like the form tool that basically, you know, give you the lifetime access to it versus something that you have to pay up subscription to the concern being that, well, will they keep this program up to date? You know, given the fact that there are a lot of attorneys who don't upgrade on a regular basis, mm-hmm. that for that population, I would be less concerned about something like that. Like I said, it's the mentality of, you know, we buy it once and we're done. Right. And I still see people asking me questions about Word 2010. So, <laughs> you know, okay. and it's like, okay, first of all, there's a security concern there. So, you know, you need, you need to upgrade. Right. So for that population, like I said, I, I would be, be somewhat less concerned. I do, like you said, really like the fact that when you do the subscription, you're getting a continual stream of updates. 
Right. That's been... and, and, and also you can make sure that they're going to be around a while mm-hmm. because, you know, if you do the one time and, and you never purchase again, we're, they have to constantly increase new, um, new purchasers, uh, new customers. So I'm not sure how, like, that's a good business model now, especially in now in the age of subscriptions. Yeah. Well, now that they're having to deal with so many or the software manufacturers are having to deal with so many updates in, in operating systems and whatnot, the subscription model just makes a lot of sense. But I can I understand that people are a little resistant. Well, I'm, you know, I'm leaking money here. I'm leaking money there. Mm. I'm paying for this. I'm paying for that. So I, I get that that's that that's a concern. And you also want to be careful about loading a huge number of plugins into Word because those things can butt heads with each other. You know, I, I use Word and it's just amazing that sometimes the the um, spinning wheel I get on occasion when I'm not doing anything and yet it's like spinning a wheel for some reason because I'm trying to open a Word document. Um, you know, no offense, that's it's a Windows product. It's a Microsoft product and um, it still brings a couple bugs with it, unfortunately. But let's move on to your answer, their third answer, if I may. And this is sort of related to the the first answer. They're going to wonder how they convert their documents, even when they're even when they're not dealing with forms and macros and right, right, and and how that's going to affect formatting. And that's that's a little bit easier because I've I've identified several things that tend to happen whenever mm-hmm. you pull a, a WordPerfect document up into Word. Uh, and to me, that's the best way to convert it is just to just to use Word to go out there and grab the WordPerfect document and pull it up into Word and then resave it. A lot of times WordPerfect will filter most of the, the formatting issues and will deal with most right. of them. A couple of things that I see that they don't deal real well with are I see a lot of section breaks in uh, converted WordPerfect documents. And I think that okay. that's, that's a result of if you remember from WordPerfect, you had header A and header B and footer yeah. A and footer B. Whereas with Word, you have section breaks. So you can create different headers right. and footers throughout the document. And Word interprets that header A, footer A, et cetera, as a section break. And you see that littered all over the document. And I see people who struggle with a converted WordPerfect document where they're saying, I've, I put a page number on page one, but it's not showing up on page five. And it's a matter of taking all those section breaks out of there and, right, right. and, and making it into one big section or, you know, maybe two sections if that, if that's, uh, if that works. And, also, and, and wait, 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 wait. Oh, well, I'm wait, sorry. Wait, 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 wait. I just got to add, you know, one easy way to see section breaks in Microsoft Word is if you have your show characters button on. That's yes. the little dark paragraph symbol in your menu bar. Yes, um, but I, but I, I apologize. I, uh, please continue. No, it, in fact, that's a good point. Although I do occasionally see if you have a section break that's sitting at the very end of a paragraph and it's over toward the right hand margin, mm-hmm. sometimes those are tricky to see. Yeah, and so right. a, a lot of times I will do uh, Control H to do a find and replace and actually look for the section break character. And sometimes I will see that will find section breaks that I don't see physically. Right. See, I don't see the double line. Uh, but another thing that I find that doesn't convert terribly well is footnotes. I've seen people recycling a brief that's, that's mm. had footnotes in, in WordPerfect, and then they go in and put in a Word footnote, and the numbering doesn't match. Ah. So it's not continuing the numbering. All of a sudden, you have footnotes one through five that were inherited from WordPerfect, 
and you put in another footnote and it starts at one. So, so I've, I've, I've got a whole tutorial on my site about converting WordPerfect footnotes. And basically you have to sort of manually sort of copy and paste that sort of thing. That's, I not don't a, a, work. that's not a section break issue, is it? Or a page break issue? No. And no, then re, renum, okay. It's, it's the footnotes. It's the footnotes themselves. For some huh. reason, Word does not interpret those correctly. It's, it's very huh. weird. Weird. And then well, uh, water bars. Uh, okay. Watermarks are uh, a huge thing. Anything that any watermark that's inherited from WordPerfect is is not converted to a watermark form in Word. So you actually okay. have to to double click into the header, and it's sitting behind the page, right? Uh, in the same area that the header and footer is, and so you All have right. to you have to go in there and and basically pull that out. So, it, I mean, but it'd be better to pull it out. Yeah, be you can't go move watermark and do that. It, it it doesn't recognize it as a watermark. It thinks it's it thinks it's something else. Right, but would it be better to remove the watermark before you convert it? Probably so. Okay. Probably huh. so. That, that's a good tip. Okay. Interesting. Well, let me ask the last question, if I may. Okay. What are the top three ways attorneys are underutilizing Microsoft Word? Well, number one, they're not using styles. Styles is the feature that is just undergirds everything that happens in Word. So they're doing a lot of direct formatting and making things a lot more work than they actually ought to be. Whereas once you understand styles, you understand why certain things happen formatting wise. And it opened up a lot of other features like automated tables of contents yes, and, yes. and being Indexing. part of a document and, yeah. and all those kinds of things. So once you, once you get a handle on those, then you can do a lot of things that are based on the styles. So wait, I, I, have, to, I have to mention my, my biggest pet peeve right now is that, so for well over 10 years, I've been hiring law students as law clerks you know, paralegals and, and, you know, they typically do a great job, but I think 90% of them I've had to teach how to use styles to do the table of contents, to do, you know, um, the table of authorities to do any indexing that was required. They're like, cause they're like doing, they're like literally going back and saying, okay, Smith versus Brown. All right. That was on page two and page five. So I'll just type in two and five when it could be automatically done for you. If you had highlighted and tagged it as a, as a, as a case or as an authority or as, the, you know, heading one, heading two, or, or, you know, wherever it is in your outline. And mm -hmm. I mean, how do we get law students, let alone attorneys to take a few minutes to, to learn this? I don't know what's actually being taught in law schools in terms of, of word processing facility, whether they're, whether they're assuming like a lot of people in law firms are that, well, you know, they're young, they know about technology and it's not necessarily the case. I don't, I don't know what it is that, that they're, that they're teaching, but I have been contacted uh, a few times by law professors who are actually teaching uh, legal writing and right. wanting to incorporate some of the kinds of things that I teach on my site into their mm -hmm. course and saying, you know, these are some more efficient ways of doing some of these things. So I don't know if it, if it really requires having a separate course on that. I hate to add to anybody's burden in law school, you know, but right. 
but the the new associates that I see coming in, everybody just sort of assumes they're going to do their own typing. Everybody assumes. Right. Oh yeah. No one has a no one has a secretary anymore. Yeah. I yeah, mean, so. you know, it's maybe a group a group staff assistant, but they're not going to be doing that kind of typing for you. And you know, I learned how to type when I was fourteen or fifteen, and then I learned. Then I learned how to use a Mac and I knew how to use Windows machines before that. But when I got on the, the Mac um, and I realized I could type my papers, uh, you know, on a word processing unit, you know, my hands just flew because my penmanship stinks. And I, I learned quickly how to do all the formatting and whatnot, you know, when I was 15, 16, 17 years old. And it was just amazing how much time I, I saved. Uh, doing that. Um, mm -hmm. Sort of a side note, one of the first jobs I got, actually it was a summer job, I got as an office temp of all things because I knew how to use computers and Windows and Macs. And I was an office temp for the whole summer. And, you know, it was pretty good pay back yeah. then. So I, I was not complaining. So you gave us one. How about two more? Okay. First of all, not using the document assembly features that are already in Word. There is uh, not a lot of talk about the feature in Word called building blocks, which encompasses mm -hmm. things like quick parts, auto text, uh, even using autocorrect as sort of a text expansion tool, although technically that's not really, really a, a building block. But there's so much of that that can be used to incrementally make document creation much more efficient. Mm -hmm. And I'm all about doing things incrementally. I you're not going to get the whole enchilada in, in one go, but you can do things that can make common tasks very much easier. For example, I have a basic pleading template and it's got mm -hmm. some of the basic skeleton right. ideas in it. And then it's got quick parts built into it. So if I am constructing a discovery pleading, I can go in onto the insert tab and go to quick parts and drop in an acknowledgement where somebody signs, you know, saying, yes, these interrogatory answers are correct and whatnot. And I don't have to go searching on the document management system for the latest example of one of those and copy right. and paste right, and, right. and fix the formatting and do all of this. And so I, in each of the cases, I have a pleading and a discovery template ready to go. The certificate of service is up to date. Uh, the case style is, is up to date if, if anybody has you know filed a cross claim or something like that. And I always have that ready to go and I don't have to double check things or go back and, and try to figure out what's, what's happened with something. I, I don't particularly like the practice of picking up the last pleading in a file and using that as a basis for a new one because you don't know what might've changed. Right, but, but you know, one interesting thing about that though is I remember 20 years ago when people still even had the idea of thinking of just doing that, of mm -hmm. using their last pleading, saving it as a new document and then, you know, editing, you know, if there were some updates to the, the rules or some, you know, uh, some minutia that maybe needed to be changed or some fine points that needed to be changed. And, you know, people, people who I worked at the time were, were just amazed. And it, it's amazing how much time that does uh, save. In years before that, uh, I think one of the things uh, you talk about the, the, ver the various building blocks, what about like mail merge? Remember doing that? That mail merge, mail merge could work certainly. In fact, uh, the person that I was talking to today that I was recommending the form tool was saying, 
he wanted to stay away from mail merge, although in that particular instance, that would have been a really good good tool to do something like that with. And I, I'm talking about just basically even for a simple mailing out to, you know, hey, client, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be down for the week or, or, you know, or even holiday cards to for onto labels. Mm-hmm. Um, people tend to forget even that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, forgive me, I think I interjected. Oh, no, that's fine. That's fine. One of the things that I think is sort of stands in the way of lawyers using even a basic document assembly within Word is they have this idea, again, this is going from zero to 60, that they need to produce uh, basically a final document. You know, if they can't produce a final document, then what good is this thing? And there was one particular person, I want to say it was on the Kennedy Mile report where Mm -hmm. someone said the Mm -hmm. goal of document assembly is to produce a really good first draft. That's it. Right. Be, be satisfied with that and go in there and polish that thing like a diamond if you need to. But even just doing that is going to save you a lot of time. Exactly. And time is money and money, you know, is either time off for you or time, um, time and money saved for the client. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I hear you on that completely. Number three, can I get one more idea? I've said the, I, I've said the word incremental like 50,000 times during this, during this conversation, but not training incrementally, not training on a continuous basis, not, not doing a little bit here and whatnot. Right. The mistake that I see a lot of law firms make is, particularly when they're upgrading systems, they just sort of do a data dump on their people mm-hmm. and, and oh, well, here's, here's the new word version and, and here's all of this. And, and people go back to their desk and they're just overwhelmed. Right. And right. the expectation is they're going to be so much more productive. It's like, no, that's not really how that's going to work. It's much better to do it incrementally. And, and quite honestly, that's what I'm trying to do with the blog. I'm not trying to teach you in one posting. This is how you use Microsoft word. I'm trying to teach you, Hey, here's a tip. Here's a trick. You know, do you know how to sh- you, how, do you know how to show all characters to help editing a little bit easier? Mm-hmm. Do you know how to pause a Zoom, uh, not pause, but uh, mute a Zoom conference? Mm-hmm. You know, here and there, just to get get it by osmosis. Not trying to um, do a you know sit down program. Now, on the other hand, sit down programs do exactly have their place uh, in education, especially for attorneys, like the, the programs that you do, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. And, and with that, I'm going to ask you, where can people find you? And please tell us about your programs. Well, my blog is at legalofficeguru.com. And what I do is I have about a half a dozen courses on various aspects of Microsoft Word. My flagship course, so to speak, is called Basic Word Skills for Legal Professionals. And that goes, it's like 45 lessons. It goes through literally it's almost a Vince Lombardi, gentlemen, this is mm-hmm. a football sort of moment mm-hmm. where you go, this is the interface, this is called the ribbon, et cetera. I don't assume that people know some of these things because right. I find that once you understand the terminology, if you have to Google something, you're more likely to get an accurate answer if you know the terminology that you need to know about what's a dialog box versus what's a, what's a launcher arrow, et cetera. And it goes through the basic skills and gets you to an intermediate level. I also 
teach some courses on, there's one called Assemble Documents Faster, which I have mentioned before now. Yeah. I'm teaching some of the document assembly techniques that are already available in native word. Uh, I teach one called Brief Builders Workshop, which is about the specific word processing skills that support building a brief, like table mm-hmm. authorities, table of yep. contents, you yep. know, using styles to build a table of contents, doing different footers for different sections of a brief, etc. Yep. And I also teach a course on styles. So why that's important, why you want to do styles rather than doing direct formatting and some of the features that are that are supported by styles, like the automated table of contents, for example. Right, right. I also have a course that's called Document Collaboration in Microsoft Word, which is like the world's worst course title. But it's basically on track changes and mm-hmm. th- some of the practices that will help with smoothing the path for collaborating with other people in Microsoft Word, including how to lock people out of changing your document, where they oh, maybe okay. change you know, one section of it, but not mess with your styles as some people right, are. Right are prone to do. And then I also have one specifically on pleading paper. I don't know that that's something that you use in your, your particular location, but you may have seen pleadings like from California, for example, that have the numbers down the side of the yeah, line and yeah, all, the, yeah, all the lines yeah. are numbered. That is one area where unfortunately WordPerfect just really does outclass Word. It, it just has some better support for pleading paper, but there are templates available in Microsoft yeah. Word, but you do have to know how to how to deal with some of the things like if you single space text within a pleading and you're dealing with pleading paper, how do you get the text lined back up again? Right, right, right. That kind of right. thing. So those courses are available at legalofficeguru.com slash courses. Excellent, excellent. It sounds like your courses are covering almost more in detail of everything that we discussed today. Mm. Yes, yes. And- and so for the listener, when you, when you buy one of these courses, is it on demand? Do they download it? Do they have to watch it all in one sitting? They don't have to watch it all in one sitting. It is something that they purchase once and they have forever access to, or at least as long as the, okay. as the, uh, the website uh, continues to be in business. And it's a mixture right now of video and text. Uh, I find that, that, there are people who really prefer everything to be video. And then there are other people who say, you know, look, I don't want to watch a six minute video to get an answer to one particular question. I want to be able to scan down and look to see if I get one. So I'm, I have to do a little of both to to sort of get everybody's learning style accommodated. But for example, in the, the brief builders workshop, there is a template or excuse me, there's a practice document that they can download. And as they go through each of the lessons, Right, right. Then they can go through and, and practice some of the techniques. It's all of the courses are, are based on courseware. So it's it's like a learning management system. So right, right. they go to one lesson and they go through that one lesson, mark it complete, which doesn't lock them out of it. It just lets them keep track of, of their progress. And in the case of the basic word skills for legal professionals, there's actually a final exam so that they can test their skills uh, after oh, okay, they get done cool. with the course. Excellent, excellent. Um, well, Deborah, I want to thank you. This has been an absolute blast, and I'm going to make sure that everything that you've talked about are in the show notes, and um, I hope to have you back again sometime soon. 
This has been fun. Thank you. This has been fun. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast. I hope you enjoyed yourself, learned something new, and we'll come back about mid-January as I take a few weeks off. A special thanks to our sponsor, Couch and Cork. Couch and Cork, stay in, drink wine. If you have any ideas about the presentation, questions about what we discussed today, or ideas about future episodes, please leave comments on the blog or email me directly at michaeldj at the techsavvylawyer.page. Have a happy holiday season, a happy new year, and happy lawyering.